since we were in this book. I think last week was a, was a storm. We didn't have heat in the building, and then there was an ice storm. And uh, I don't know if I was here the week before or not. Um, but anyways, we're at the place of learning to be submissive and to be subject to every human institution. Remember, we talked about kings and authorities and rulers. No matter how good or evil they are, we're still to honor God and honor authority. Well, tonight we come to a place, verse 18. It says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Okay? Now, different translations read differently. Um, some translations read, slaves, be re in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, before we can even get into this, you know, the translation of servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only the good and gentle, but to the unjust, that seems like a gentler way of putting this concept of slaves. And so I want to spend some time before we get into this portion of Scripture with Peter dealing with the issue of slave and slavery in the Bible. How many of you know that this is a real contention against people who have an argument against Christianity, saying that the Bible supports slavery and that the Bible speaks to slavery and didn't get rid of it, and it should have. And... Uh, it, in fact, was used uh, by slave owners to keep slaves subject to themselves. And so we need to get a good understanding of this in an apologetic or a way that we can defend Scripture because the Bible does talk about slaves and slavery. And it speaks about how to behave as slaves and masters and so forth. So why would it do that? And so I just felt I needed to discuss this a little bit with everybody tonight. First of all, let's understand something. Slavery has existed in most every uh, society from the beginning of civilization. What were slaves used for? What do you think? Work, labor. There were no machines. There wasn't an industrial age. There wasn't technology. So when you had crops, when you had, to, had any form of labor, the labor were the people you could get to do it. And so many times they would take slaves. Now, there was slavery in every part of the world. It was the way of the world. And it wasn't thought of as being evil. How you treated slaves was the issue. Slaves is another form of hired hand, but yet there were some who were slaves when nations would overtake other nations. Slavery historically was an economic fun function, not racial discrimination. American slavery made it a racial issue. Slavery throughout world history was never about race. That developed in the United States. Probably the worst nation in the history of the world concerning slavery was the United States. And we're going to go through that and look at it. Let's take a look at the different types of slavery during the time of the scriptures. Greek slavery, Roman slavery. Most Roman slavery, in fact, in the first century A.D., 85, 
to 90% of the Roman population were slaves. Can you imagine that? 90% of the population is a slave. But it wasn't understood as a slave. I'm going to have to keep adjusting your mind. Because what you understand and what I understand slavery to be is what we saw in the United States. And that was the worst form of slavery and the crudest. Not saying that other nations weren't mean and vicious to people. But this kind of slavery in the United States against an entire people group was completely wrong. And that's our understanding of slavery. But around the world, throughout history, it was a normative. I'm not saying I'm in favor of it. But it was more of, in the Roman aspect, was more of indentured servitude. It was an economic issue. When you didn't have enough money, you would put yourself out to rent so that you could get the supplies you needed for your family, for food, and work the fields till you could pay off your loan from whoever you put yourself indentured to. That's what most of the Roman servitude was. Let me go through some of these points. There was no ethnic or racial basis for slavery among Roman slaves. This is pagan slavery. The Romans didn't consider slaves as subhuman. In the American slavery system, uh, African Americans were considered less than human. And that was completely wrong. They completely recognized that slaves were humans and treated them as such. There were rotten slave owners, but in Rome they were reviled in the same way we revile people who mistreat others and mistreat animals and so forth. They weren't esteemed, they were looked down upon. The murder of a slave was a homicide in the Roman Empire. Slaves had a reasonable chance of being freed if they served their master well. It was in vogue to free slaves for the rich, and it got to a point where restrictions had to be placed on how many slaves you could free at a time. Because again, once you free a slave, they're going to need an occupation and finance. Most of the slaves worked farms and mines throughout the empire, but there were a sizable minority of slaves that worked in the city of Rome itself. These slaves could occupy high-ranking administration positions and become power players themselves. Indentured servants known as slaves or in servitude could be doctors, lawyers, farmers, or laborers. Okay, It wasn't limited to overpowering somebody else. There were the times when nations would overtake other nations and use the prisoners of war as slaves as well. When slaves were freed, they became freed men, which was like a citizen, but not fully. The children of a freed man, uh, parents, were full citizens with none of the stigma of them coming from a slave. So that's pagan Rome and how they dealt with slavery. How we know about the different slavery laws is we can find in Hammurabi's code. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the most ancient law code of Hammurabi. It had practices for when you had slaves or indentured servants. And you were to treat them a certain way. Okay. Now let me, let me put this again out there. Most everybody in our culture and our society today would agree slavery is wrong because every human being has a dignity. Where did they ever get that idea from? Christianity. 
Before Christianity, people didn't consider one another as equals or as in the, in the uh, image of God. So what's interesting is the arguments that they use against Christianity are actually based on the principles of Christianity, and I'll show you that. So Roman slavery and Greek slavery were mainly an economic issue of indentured servants. But So there was slavery throughout the then-known world for laborers, for workers, to pay off debts and to function and to live through their poverty and situations. Then you have the Old Testament and the nation of Israel, which was completely different in how it treated slaves or servants. And though people see it in the Old Testament, they say, see, it says slaves. The Bible says you kept slaves, this and that. Let me share with you the Hebrew understanding of how to treat slaves. Exodus 21.16. Anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. The idea of going to another nation and kidnapping someone to make them your slave was a capital offense, according to Judaism. All right? You can't steal people, according to God. That's number one. And again, what I'm going to share with you for Hebrew Scripture and for New Testament, you're going to see that American slavery violated all of it under the guise of Christianity. Deuteronomy 15.1, at the end of every seven years, you must cancel all debts. How about that? So if you became an indentured servant because you couldn't afford your pay for rent or for food, you would sell yourself to a farm or to some place for labor and till you paid off the amount that you took uh, for a loan, for supplies, and after seven years you were set free. That debt was removed. Leviticus 25, 39 to 41. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then they and their children are to be released and they will go back to their own clans and to the property of their ancestors. Automatic, set free. Year of Jubilee was the 50th year. All right? Now, it wasn't 50 years to when you went in. It was every 50 years was the year of Jubilee. Maybe you went in at the 47th year. You'd be set free after three years. Deuteronomy 15, 13 to 15. And when you release them, servants or slaves, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. Every seven years, their debts were, were released. In the year of Jubilee, they had their property returned back to them. And when you released a slave, you blessed them and gave them finance and food so that they may prosper and be on their way. Leviticus 19.33, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. 
I am the Lord your God. That's a different story of slavery, don't you think? Deuteronomy 23, 15, if a slave has taken refuge with you, do not hand them over to their master. Let them live among you wherever they like and in whatever town they choose. Do not oppress them. So what do you think about Hebrew slavery? Though slavery is in the Bible, that is the type of slavery that we're talking about in the Old Testament. It was civil. It was caring. It was to help them. It was an economic issue of blessing these people because God said, you were slaves once in Egypt. And so now I'm going to treat you and I want you to treat them right. A much different picture. Again, see, people read the word slave in the Old Testament, they think of American slavery, and they think how horrible God was. But this was an economic system of how you could care for people by indentured servitude and yet release them of debt, return them to their property, and bless them and keep them and treat them right. That's amazing. Now let's go to the next page. Let's look at the New Testament. People say, why didn't Jesus condemn slavery? Slavery is not the issue. How many of you know what the issue is? Sin. Sin's the issue. If you resolve the issue of sin and eradicate the way people treat each other, then we can eliminate slavery. And it was. And it needs to continue. Look at Galatians 3.28, Paul's view in the New Testament. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is a revolutionary verse. That says that whether you're a Jew, born of Israel, the chosen people, or a Gentile, a pagan, who comes to Christ, you're on equal footing, you're the same. If you're a slave or if you're free, if you're poor or are you rich, God does not view you any differently, you are equal. If you're male or female, this is radical for the time we're in, in the 60 AD, men and women are equal in the eyes of God. Radical. Ephesians 6, 7-9, serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. New Testament Christianity says that you are to treat those who are indentured or those who are working for you as a brother or a sister in the Lord. Again, that was not seen in America. 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, murderers, sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatsoever is contrary to sound doctrine. So this is an assault against anybody who's involved in slave trade. God hates it and calls it ungodly and sinful. 1 Corinthians 7, 20-22. Were you a slave when you were called? 
don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. The one who was free when called by God becomes the Lord's slave. Colossians 4.1 Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Okay? So the message from Christ is how do you treat those who are slaves or servants on your land, working in your fields, working however. You're to treat them justly and fairly. You're not to be involved in slave trade. You are to consider them as a brother in the Lord. Philemon 15, 16. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a brother. Christianity leveled the playing field, calling everyone a sinner. But when you got saved, we all became righteous and we were to treat each other as brothers and sisters. Now, unsaved people aren't going to treat each other that way. But although you will see in the Bible the word for slave in the Old Testament, the word for slave in the New Testament, this is a really different type of what it means to be slaves and servants. This was the catalyst that changed the world and changed the understanding of slavery. As a matter of fact... By 300 A.D., Christianity condemned slavery as sinful in the West. And in the East, it was by 347 A.D. Any Christian nation condemned slavery by 300 A.D. That's how much the seed of God's Word worked into a culture and worked into a society. So that by 300 A.D., it eradicated slavery in Christian nations. That's pretty early, wouldn't you say? In the 600s and 700s, Islam came to power. And Islam brought conquest to all the Christian territories throughout Near East, Africa, Spain, and the Mediterranean islands and reintroduced slavery where Christianity had eradicated it. Medieval Christian theologians seldom addressed the question of slavery since it was so rare. But when they did, they taught that it was a sin against nature and divine law. Thomas Aquinas in the 1200s declared slavery contrary to the natural, natural law and to the fact that Christ died for all people equally. What happened? As far as Christianity and slavery was concerned, it was eradicated and known as a sin. When you properly read Scripture, you see that it is wrong, it is a sin, and it violates God's uh, treatment one to another. What happened? In Christianity, it was eradicated until the 1400s, 1411, and so forth. The invention of ships that could go across the oceans. And they began the slave trade. Most slavery was isolated to within each individual nation. Once they began to go across the seas, they began to import other people. 
And so there was a big slave trade. In Africa, the uh, warlords would take uh, people from other tribes and then begin to enslave them and sell them to different nations for profit. And that was a problem. How many of you know that? So Christianity has always stood opposed to slavery. It has always called it wicked. Hebrew slavery was done in a uh, way that was dignifying to people who were working and needed finance and, and help to the poor. But the thing that we're so used to and is the disdain of the name slavery is American slavery. The, probably the worst part of American slavery is it was whitewashed with the gospel or I should say Christianity. Because of the increase in cotton production in the South, they needed cheap labor. Again, remember, no machines to work the land. So they began to import slaves from Africa. Millions. And they brought them over and put them to work in the fields. And they would use Scripture. They had what was called slave Bibles. Do you know, you know what slave Bibles were? Bibles that were edited. The verses that I shared with you were taken out. Slaves serve your masters whether they're kind or not. That was kept in. And so churches and Christians used the Bible and their religion to be evil against the African-Americans. In fact, blacks were not even considered human at that time. But it was a divided country. As early as the 1600s in the United States, there were many who spoke against slavery, many who said it was ungodly, many of the clergy. There was a, a, a words and pamphlets, the abolitionists uh, would speak against it, and uh, in fact, there was one man who wrote a tract to the Continental Congress as they were writing the Constitution saying, if you do not deal with this issue of slavery, it will divide the nation and destroy the United States. And so there was a, a war in the United States. How can I best symbolize slavery. No wonder when you see the word slavery in the Old Testament, New Testament, you would say, how could this be? How could it qualify such slavery? It didn't qualify the slavery that was in the United States. The worst sin of America is what we did through slavery. If you've never read Frederick Douglass's biography, I would really encourage you to read it. But I'd like to read to you what Frederick Douglass said about American Christianity. He said this, between, between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. So wide that to receive the one as good, pure, and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. 
To be the friend of the one is of necessity to be the enemy of the other. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-weeping, I'm sorry, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. He was right. He goes on and he says this to the white people of the United States. Your celebration is a sham. Your boasted liberty an unholy license. Your national greatness, swelling vanity, your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless. Your shouts of liberty and equality, hollow mock. Your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings, with all your religious parade and solemnity, are to him mere bombast, fraud, deception, impiety, and hypocrisy a thin veil to cover up crimes which would disgrace a nation of savages. That's a prophet. Now, that's my introduction to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. So when we read in Scripture... Slaves or servants, be subject to your masters with respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. I want it to be in perspective as to the time period we're talking about. We are not talking about the slavery that took place in the United States. It was evil, it was violent, it was vicious, it, it opposed humanity under the guise of a Christian nation. What slavery and servitude was back in this period of time was not that. So what he's saying is basically this. When you work for somebody else, whether they're just, whether they're nice, or whether they're not nice, even if they may be cruel, he says this. This is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Why? Why should we put up with that? What is the goal of any Christian in any situation they're in to submit to that kind of authority? What is the end goal of any Christian and their behavior in a situation? Anybody? What's that? Win the lost. By how we respond. Violence begets violence. Now, I'm not saying we're to be doormats. I'm not saying that we should stop injustice. But what he is saying is, Christ endured a lot for righteousness' sake. We must try to win them to Christ by our behavior. 
He goes on, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. There will be recompense for the way you've been treated. There will be a day of reckoning if you've been mistreated. In fact, Jesus put it this way. If any of you makes one of these children stumble, it'd be worse than you to have a millstone wrapped around your neck and cast into the sea. But how we respond to this, why is Peter saying this to them? Remember context. Context tonight is everything. The context is they're living in a nation right now where Nero is killing them. He's beating them. Why don't they revolt? Why don't they start an uprising and revolt? Because that is not what God would demand. God demands that we witness and that we give our lives for Christ. Now, did it work? <laughs> Absolutely. Rome fell and Christianity increased and has taken over the world. So we've got evidence historically this is the way of the master. You and I are going to be reviled. You and I are going to be mocked. You and I we may lose our jobs because of our faith. You and I will not be allowed into restaurants. You might not be allowed into places of business because you're a Christian. And because you have a biblical viewpoint, they will say that you're a hater and we don't want your kind here. What should you do about it? Trash the restaurant. Start a fight. What should you do about it? Live peaceably. Pray for them. That sure doesn't sound American to me. We need to pull a John Wayne on them. No. No. And this is what he's saying. This is hard to swallow for, for a lot of us. It's really hard. And that's why I felt that I, I had to even introduce the whole issue of slavery because it just doesn't it, it's it's unfair and again what has been etched in our heart as to how evil slavery is it's because of the bible and the word of god and so here we are to put up with the unjust people in verse 24 jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds or stripes you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What's his point? The way we respond to persecution, the way we respond to harassment, the way we respond to others should be a way in which we will win them to Christ. I don't know how many testimonies I've heard of people who were persecuted in high school, reviled and made fun of. They watched and saw the way that Christian was. Made fun of him. But years later, came to Christ because of that testimony and witness. So he says, servants or slaves, let me put it in modern vernacular, you workers, 
working for a boss that you don't like, whether he's nice, whether he's mean, how do you behave in the workplace? As a servant of the Lord, you're always being watched. Our lives are to be given to Christ Jesus, are to serve Him, even if it means we would be persecuted. Do you think you can do this? What do you think? Let me, see, let me see some hands. How many of you have been persecuted for your faith in small ways? Okay. How many of you felt like you really blew it? You should have done better. Okay. We're all on there. We got a big learning curve, don't we? It's hard because we grew up in a land which is unique. Now listen, you might think I'm trashing the United States. I'm trashing the United States conduct in slavery, absolutely. Absolutely. But, I'll tell you what, there is no other nation on this planet that gives this kind of life and freedom to people. Finally, now we can say that. So I'm not, it's a difficult thing with the U.S. But we're so used to the mentality of having rights. You know how hard that is based on Christianity? Because what rights do you have in the kingdom of God? You gave them up. I don't know if you remember, you're dead. In order to be saved, what do you have to do? Die. And you live to Christ. Now if Christ tells you to be an abolitionist, and to fight, and to, uh, how many of you know great stories of those who fought against slavery and who worked against the injustice of slavery? God called them to that, and they did an amazing job, and that's how we finally are getting to where we need to be. We're not there yet. We're getting there. So God may give you in each situation what to do and how to do it, but you serve the Lord, not yourself, and you respond to the people who are coming against you as Christ and not yourself. Tonight, you caught the context of, of what we're trying to accomplish in studying Peter. You have to remember. Sometimes we, we just read these verses according to us, 2023, and what it means to us, instead of the context in which it's written to the people it's written to. It has power in that. And if we would uh, understand that being subject to the authorities in our lives. God has wisdom in it. There's a reason for it. And it's, it's the unique paradoxical ways of the kingdom of God in which if we would lift up the rulers, even if you hate them and you think they're terrible rulers, but you lift them up before God, there's something that changes in you. Even in your work or whatever kind of servitude you have to do, if you walk in the ways of the Lord, it will have an impact for the kingdom. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, we thank you for the worship tonight. We thank you for the prayers, the healings that took place, the ministry that your Holy Spirit has already begun to accomplish. We thank you for that. We thank you for the testimonies tonight, Lord God. We thank you for the Word of God. May we be a people who endure ready for the hour 
to stand boldly and strongly as Christians, as sons of God who will bring many into the kingdom. Use us, I pray, throughout this week, and may we remember these scriptures as we're at work. And we thank you for it now, in Jesus' name, amen.